0: Bing Bong, we have to get to that station. Sure thing. This way, just past Graham Pracker Castle. Hey, weird. Grand Pracker Castle used to be right here. I wonder why they moved it. Well, wow, that's. I would have sworn Sparkle Pony Mount was right here. I hey, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll have to <gasps> Princess <back>, Dream World! <laughs> oh, the stuffed animal hall of fame! <gasps> My market! Wait, Riley and I were still using that rocket it, 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 it still has some song power left Who is your friend who likes to play? No! No, 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 you can't take my rocket to the dump Riley and I go going to the moon oh, oh. Riley can't be done with me Hey, it's gonna be okay. We can fix this. We just need to get back to headquarters. Which way to the train station? I had a whole trip planned for us. (gasps) Hey, who's ticklish, huh? Here comes the tickle monster. Hey, Bing Bong, look at this. (coughs) Oh, here's a fun game. You point to the train station and we all go there. Won't that be fun? Come on, let's go to the train station. I'm sorry they took your rocket. They took something that you loved. It's gone, forever. Sadness, don't make him feel worse. Sorry. It's all I had left of Riley. I bet you and Riley had great adventures. Oh, they were wonderful. Once we flew back in time, we had breakfast twice that day. Sadness! It sounds amazing. I bet Riley liked it. Oh, she did. We were best friends. Yeah, it's sad. I'm okay now. Come on. The train station is this way. How did you do that? Hey! There's the train! (sighs) (sighs) we made it! We're finally gonna get home! Oh no, these facts and opinions look so similar. Ah, don't worry about it. Happens all the time. My world has turned upside down, and I am in pain. Pain, things just don't seem so right anymore. The proverbial thing hit the fan and now I am in pain, stressed out, anxious, depressed. Can't get up in the morning anymore. Some of us this morning may be saying this. Some of us may know of someone whom we love is saying this something similar. Pain, unexpected loss suffering defeat depression some of the words that we hear that say that and say that requires a good christian response right right like i'm in pain i'm like i'm at a loss i'm christian though so what should i say well where do we find comfort usually we need comfort well as good christians we are supposed to say we find comfort in god Question for you though, question for myself, but do we? Do we find comfort in God? Do we find comfort in God right now? Do your loved ones find comfort in God right now? What does it feel like to find comfort in God? Where do I get it? What does it feel like to be in the midst of in the presence of God in light of my pain and suffering? If God is eternal without beginning or end, if he is so big and so strong, how come I'm still suffering? How come I'm still in pain? How come my loved ones are still in pain and suffering? How come some have even succumbed to suicide? That's this letter. That's 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, the overall theme, is about comfort, finding comfort in God, and how to do it in light of suffering, in light of severe trauma. So 2 Corinthians chapter so 1, verse 1 to 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we yourselves receive from God. By golly, what's the most important word here? Comfort. How many times? Because it's been repeated. And for those of you who have been with me for long enough, you know that in any Bible study, if the word gets repeated many times, it's important. And so for Paul, comfort is very important. So why are we focusing on the word comfort this morning? Well, in chapter one of 2 Corinthians, it is because this particular chapter and the entire chapter, a book actually, this chapter though, Paul repeats this word comfort 10 times. Ten. So for those of you who are going to uh, study along with this sermon series and is about to buy the book, uh, the N.T. Wright book again, uh, but this time it's 2 Corinthians, Paul for everyone, 2 Corinthians. N.T. Wright says this, Paul repeats the word comfort in one form or another 10 times in five verses. To say that this is obviously what's on his mind doesn't put it strongly enough. It is really in his mind. It sounds almost like an obsession, so much of an obsession that it's the overall theme of the entire letter. We first begin with the reason for Paul needing comfort. What does he say? Well, go to uh, verse 8, chapter 2, I mean, chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. He says this, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. He felt the reason, he felt like he was sentenced to death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, for you and I, and the, probably the Corinthians, we are probably asking ourselves this question. What on earth happened to Paul? Because he seemed very quite jovial in 1 Corinthians when he ended up that letter, right? He says, yeah, let's go. Woo-hoo, right? We're, good. We're more than conquerors in Christ, woo mm-hmm, right? Then suddenly, in 2 Corinthians, he says this, we felt we had received a sentence of death. What on earth happened, Paul? Something happened to Paul that's so traumatic, so devastating that Paul felt that he was equivalent to being sentenced to death. Now, what happened? N.T. Wright, and for us, he says, we don't know. That's the tradition. No one knows what happened. Something really big happened, but no one knows. He goes on to say this in, the, in his commentary NT. The load for Paul had become too heavy. All his natural human resources of energy and strength were worn down to nothing. It's bad enough to hear a magistrate declare that you are sentenced to death, you know, somebody else, but it's far worse when a voice deep down inside yourself tells you that you might as well give up and, and die. That is the point Paul had reached, the point where the night had become totally dark and all hope of dawn had disappeared. In other words, a nervous breakdown. Paul is right now, we're witnessing a letter. He's telling us he's having a nervous breakdown. How many of us felt the way Paul felt as described by Wright. Give up. That little voice in your heart or in your head repeatedly say, give up. Why bother wake up in the morning? Stay in bed. Don't bother, it's not worth it. Literally, there's no point going on living. One of the lies that creep into our minds from the evil one is just that. Give up and die, what's the point of trying? This phrase becomes so strong and potent that we see ourselves even our loved ones don't even want to get out of bed in the morning or leave their homes they don't want to do activities even the fun activities they used to do they no longer do because they just feel incapable of getting out they're deceived by the evil one we're deceived by the evil one beautiful days like this morning is ignored because unfortunately phrases that repeat often in our minds slowly become truth repeated more repeated as many times and it becomes true. Right? And slowly, it keeps on repeating itself. It, just, it gets ingrained in our minds. They're, that, they're, that world now, our world, their world, as it continues to creep in, and these phrases can continue to repeat itself, what is now getting centered? Not Jesus, but hopelessness. And unfortunately, the only solution is death. Give up and die. No other perspective or counsel from their friends can penetrate and tear that veil apart. The hopelessness has calcified onto our minds and hearts. So we may not know what happened to Paul that we do not know that, but we do know, all right? We don't know what happened to Paul, but we do know that Paul is relatable. That we can now, we we can definitely relate with Paul. Second Corinthians is a letter that we can actually relate to. And so, I'm excited and also nervous because 2 Corinthians, as uh, as Pastor Fritz and I will be preaching and sharing this journey, we'll be sharing our journeys with you because he's so relatable in this letter. And for those of you who want to get ahead, please feel free to read ahead in 2 Corinthians and you'll know what I mean. But then, how does Paul navigate this? It takes a whole entire letter of Paul to help us and figure out how do we navigate through all this, through all this suffering and depression, through all this deception and deceiving phrases in our minds. How does Paul find comfort in light of this? How does he find comfort in God when tragedy strikes? Okay, before we go on, just one caveat. Depression has many sides and many causes, right? It involves the human brain and which is very, very complex. I'm not an expert, but I do know that some forms of depression I'm aware of has nothing to do with people's choices or personal feelings. It could be pure, it could be also physiology, physiology and biology. So I'm not saying that, oh, uh, just turn, up, uh, turn that frown upside down type of thing. That's not going to solve it. No, some forms of depression has a lot to do with genetics and physiology. And medicine is involved to address and resolve those issues. And so if you or you know of a loved one or those who are watching or listening to this sermon, you know that somebody's going through this or you're going through this, please be advised that depression is not that simple by just turning that frown upside down, All right? Or pray harder type of thing. No, there are some forms of depression that God provides us with medical professionals. And we need to heed that call. We need to heed their counsel and receive their counsel, take the medicine for our healing. Because God also uses medical professionals to heal us. What Paul is proposing here, though, on what he did to address his near nervous breakdown, what, how should we take it? It's supposed to be creating a foundation of where to start right? in our build up. We want to get out of our depression. So how do we do it in, a, in light of the spiritual realm? Paul provides us with that foundation. That's what we're going through today, all right? So some of us may need Prozac. Some of us may need medicine. But first and foremost, all of us need a foundation. And that foundation is found in this first chapter in 2 Corinthians. So first step, why is it not important to know what was going on? Well, N.T. Wright said this best, and I'll quote him. Like many people in the ancient world, he was more interested in what illness or suffering meant than in living, giving us a detailed account of his symptoms. Hmm. So true, isn't it? Many of us know that the best way to solve a problem is not to address the symptoms, but the cause, the root cause of the problem. It's not the symptoms, right? So in order to find the root cause, what questions are we supposed to ask then? Not the what, but the why, right? So Paul, for Paul, it's not not about the what, or the how, or the where, or when did it happen. Paul says, why did it happen? Why did this trauma, why am I reacting to this trauma this way? He doesn't say why this trauma is happening. He's more saying, why am I reacting to it that way? That's what he's trying to say. And so he's trying to find that and go and say, okay, so now I, how do I figure out the why, and how do I find comfort in God after I know the why? All right? So let's move on. Everyone following so far? I'm not going too fast? Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, he says this. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Verse 5. If, you have, if you're able to highlight your Bibles, go for it. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Why? First answer, <laughs> because Jesus suffered. And since we made the decision to follow him, being disciples of Jesus, the traumas and sufferings that we endure is because we are following Jesus too. But how is this truth comforting? Right? Right? Basically, Paul is saying, I'm suffering because Jesus suffered and that's why I'm suffering. But how on earth do we find comfort in that truth, that gospel truth? Why do, so here's a question then. Why do some of you say that you could relate with me? Here, let me give give you something, okay. I worked 15 years in the corporate world as a business professional. Uh, I did a sales gig before I went in. You know, sold computers in a suit of a particular consumer electronics firm that is red and white and black, <laughs> right, before it got bought up by a blue and yellow and white and black. You know, um, and then you know, I worked hard. I had my beatdowns by people. I had my beatdowns by customers telling me I'm worthless, right? I had those moments. I'm sure you did too, <laughs> right? You know, I worked hard for that. However, it's not just my career, right? You know, I, I, I escalated and I climbed the career ladder, but I also experienced loss. All my grandparents passed away, they're all gone now. All of them passed away of some sort of illness and I've seen them suffer. I've seen them had, you know, all of them had cancer and I've seen them suffer. I've seen them get really skinny and age really quickly. I've seen suffering of that too, I've seen loss. I've also witnessed marriages falling apart. Sometimes, and I also witnessed a good friend of mine who thought that I was very judgmental, and I came across very judgmental, I thought, who came out and said, I am gay. And then, and then he realized that I was being judgmental in what I said. I didn't know that, and he left. And that was a lot of reconciliation and repair, too. So I had that in my life. I'm also a father, right? I have a father, I'm a father of a six-year-old. I know what it means now for the first six years or what it means. So some of you could relate with me there. I also know that there's uh, other losses, a lot of things that I see, things that I should have stepped in, maybe stuff that I made decisions of that I shouldn't have done. I had a lot of relationships that were soured. A lot of them have fallen apart. And I wish that I could get that back. After I said that, I could still see that back, looking back, that Jesus pulled me through the whole thing. And I, and I thank the Lord that I could still stand firm in faith in Jesus. Once I said that story to you, can some of you relate with me? See this is Paul. Paul is saying that we share in the suffering with Jesus. Jesus suffered before us, Jesus went through the same thing as us, and therefore, we're going through the same thing, yet we also know that just like sadness with uh, bing bong, Jesus is with us through it, and he understands. He understands, and we, could, and we know that we have somebody beside us to go through this suffering. Not to solve it right away, not to just bring us like, woo, we're, we're, we don't have any more suffering, but to take us through it, whether it be physical, whether it be mental, whether it be spiritual. He has gone through it, all sorts of pain. And that's something that we should be able to find a foundation for as part of our comfort. Verse seven, and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. It is also that because we are all in Christ, we can believe that you could just say, Jonathan has gone through it, so I could go through it too and stand firm. And I could find relationship with him to, have a, like, to be able to journey together. That's why I encourage all of you at one point or another, to find somebody of a mentor, of somebody older that has already went through many more years on this planet before you did, right? So that you could find comfort and uh, and know that, hey, if this gentleman or this woman of faith went through it, so can I. And I know that if I talk to her, she can relate with me. There's a woman, here's an example. There's a woman that I know, her name is Edie. She's in her 80s now. Her firstborn died of a drowning. Her first husband left her, she never remarried. She was a successful uh, business person. She was a senior VP at Morgan Chase. She was a a chairperson for Expo 86, if you know where Expo 86 is. And she served at the White House. At first glance, you would probably say that she's a very successful woman, but deep down she was, uh, she had that uh, death of a firstborn, her husband left her, and she was also bulimic. Can you, can some of you women, sisters, can you uh, say that you could actually go to her and express your hurts as well and suffering some loss? I bet you can. Because she knows what it means to go through it. But she still stands firm in Jesus and in her faith in Jesus. That's somebody that I would love to pair up with any of you, any of you sisters, because she could share your pain. She understands loss, great loss, and she understands what you may be going through in terms of relevance, significance, beauty, follow? That's so important. Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 12. I mean, <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 to 12, sorry. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. So second point, why does God allow suffering then? Why does God allow bad things to happen? Have any of us heard this question asked before? Yes? Whether it be among colleagues, friends, or family? Well. How about this? Let's rephrase it a little bit. How about this? Why does God allow anything to happen? Why does God allow anything to happen, both good and bad? Why does he allow me to find Rosanna as my spouse? Why does God allow me to have a child and not some of my my much holier friends? Like, I know a lot of couples who who want to have children, but they can't. Why does God allow me and Rosanna to have a child? Why does God allow me to wake up in the morning alive and well and sound mind when I know a lot of people are not waking up with sound mind? Or even in a home or even in a residence or even on a clean bed. Why does God allow that to happen? See, when, uh, when suffering happens, we say, why does God allow this to happen? Why does this happen to me? But we never see the groom just say and then meet his wife, you know, walking down. The aisle, why is this happening to me? Right? Think about it. You never see hear that, right? Like you never like imagine Fritz like see Tracy walking down and I go, "Why is this happening to me?" Right? No, right? We never see that, but we definitely hear a lot about suffering. Right? When we suffer. Well, you know what? I think we should explore that. Anytime we ask ourselves about that that, that thing, that that particular question, of "Why is this happening to me?" We should also say, "Why is anything happening to me?" It's because Paul says, what does Paul say? It's because it's the, our reliance on God. God is re, Paul is reminding us that, hey, all this stuff is happening because, you know why? It is to remind ourselves that we are in total reliance to God. That God has everything in his hands and in his control. Nothing is from our own doing. It's God's. And it's for God's purpose. God can give and God can take away for all things work for his purpose. So pain, including pain, physical pain, back pain, for Rosanna and I'm sure some other of you have back pain. Sleepless nights, insomnia, allergies for me, right? Various like uh, physical pains, but also mental pains as well. Depression, suffering, anguish, anxiety. Why is that happening all the time? We don't know, but we definitely know that it is for our reliance to God. To remind us that we are at his mercy. Okay, wait a minute though, John, you might ask, but how do we how on earth do we find comfort in that truth? Well, thankfully, God is not a God that gives us anxiety by giving us new and unknown sufferings that humanity has not seen before. Right? Nothing's new under the sun. Many things that are happening to us have already happened in the past. And Paul says that on him we have set our hope that we will, he will continue to deliver us meaning that as we encounter our own sufferings we can find comfort knowing that God will be faithful in delivering us always delivers us now whether it be pulling us through now in our lifetime or through death because death is actually part of deliverance as well into new life God will always keeps his promise in delivering us out of this pain and suffering we find comfort in that we can always rely on God's grace. And as we rely on God's grace and have the mindset that all things are in God's grace and mercy, our suffering is a living testimony to the world, as Paul would say, his boast, follow? That when we suffer and the world sees that we count on God and say, well, it's all in God's control, in God's hands, and I know for a fact, it like, and you tell them, I know for a fact though, he will deliver me, the world will go, wow, what great hope. I want to know more of that. Okay, let's move on, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both of us, and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set set a seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I, I, I have this question written down. Ever made a deposit before? Well, you know, and I was about to, you know, as I was preparing this, I'm like, "What deposit is supposed to guarantee something, right? To get? Uh, not so much in the condo market, right? You put a deposit and it's suddenly banned, like you get your check back, <laughs> you know, because they 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 canceled it or something. Well, no, no, it's not that type of deposit. This deposit is supposed to guarantee you to get something. All right. Technically. Deposits mean that you will have the product or the service when it arrives, right? You put it down a deposit. Paul admitted that his trauma and suffering made him feel that all the work he had done, everything—the planting churches, the gathering money to give to the poor, and preaching the gospel—was collapsing. Okay, that was his. That was his breakdown. He is seeing everything collapsing. Ever thought of that? Ever had that in front of you? You know, you see that your life is like completely collapsing in front of you. That, like, what the, like, everything's collapsing? Like, things are just not going right anymore? Right, your health is collapsing, your your finances are collapsing, your relationships are collapsing. What's going on, right? It's all collapsing. Then, what, what does Paul say? Wait, though. I am reminded that God said yes, and amen to one promise. And that promise, that seal, is that that there's a guaranteed thing that's coming. And what is that? Eternal life with God. A glorious body, a risen body, a resurrected body like Jesus will be ours, and we will have fellowship with God. So in light of all the things that is collapsing in front of him, he says, at least I know that there is something bigger than all of this. And that is that promise that God has promised me. And I'm counting on that promise, that I will have eternal life, and, and I will have a glorious body and a relationship with God for eternity. That's the seal. That's something that we can count on as well. In light of things that are collapsing, in light of things that are happening, like our foundations are this. The biggest one is this, that we are sealed. We have that seal, that deposit. It's paid already by Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. It's paid for. And we can always count on that, that no matter what happens in front of us is collapsing, that the big prize at the end is still waiting for us. Nothing will get rid of that. Nothing will compromise that promise. There will always be a firm yes, amen? Thank God for that. Last word, folks, why do we pray? Here's what he says in the, in the verse eleven: As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. As I was preparing the sermon, I was like, uh, "Going, wow! Prayer, prayer is supposed to be like uh, as church. How does churches pray? How do churches pray? And then so I, uh, you know, I had many experiences with small groups, <laughs> and then so when it comes to prayer requests, what happens usually? Okay, we sit around the table or couch, living room, whatever, right? And then we go like this, okay, folks, everybody, uh, time to close this uh, small group, so let's uh, share our prayer requests. Anyone? Hmm? Come on. Oh yeah, uh, uh, okay, I guess I have to start. Um, Work, stressing out. Anyone? Well, thank you, Johnny. Like, uh, you know, just sit down. Yeah. Okay. uh, Next. What else? Hmm? Everybody's looking down, eating their food or something. Maybe a last munch on the uh, little shrimp cracker that you have, (laughs) you know. You guys can relate? Why is that? Remember back then, uh, back a little earlier in what we said, it's not about the what. We don't pray for the what. We're stressing you out why somebody uh, had a relationship that break like a, a particular relationship that broke down in the, in your life how did you react stressed out anxiety why dig the why then formulate that why into a prayer Lord why am I reacting this way is there a particular truth that you want me to know and Lord, as I pray with my brothers and sisters in this small group, let us all, can all of us figure this out for me, for my life? Why am I reacting that way? And what truth should we know about to re- relight that truth that I'm supposed to know? Is it, am I supposed to re- be reminded of the seal, the deposit that has been given to me? Am I, rem- am I supposed to remind myself that of Jesus has already suffered before me and so that he's suffering alongside me and that the reason why I'm suffering is because he suffered? You follow? Or am I supposed to be partakers or participants and partners in this suffering? And maybe, like, if my brother or sister is suffering, I should suffer alongside with them. That type of prayer. In our small groups, it's not so much about, oh, pray for my work. I'm stressed out. It's more about why are you stressed out? Why is the, the relationship breaking down? Why am I reacting the way I am to, towards this individual? And you know what? Cell groups, small groups, us, we're not here to solve the problem, right? Like sadness did. We're not here to solve it. What are we supposed to be here to be for? We're not here to, oh, pick you up, right? Like, hey, come on, you could do it. You, like, you know, just take another aspirin or something, right? You know, jovial, right? No. We, we ask ourselves, why are we reacting to it? And then suddenly, and then in turn, part two, we ask ourselves, what truth, in these three truths that Paul is telling us, are we supposed to be reminded of so that we can find comfort in? And then we can encourage each other as we pray, like I would pray like, uh, with, um, who's in my small group? They're not here. we will pray with uh, Pastor Fritz here. Let's say he shared something about a relationship that, of that he had in his, in his workplace. And he says that he's being stressed out on that, and that they right now have no reconciliation whatsoever, right? And I would say, why are you acting that way, Pastor Fritz? Right? It's because, and it's something we journey in, and it could be that he's, there's a particular thing that's still like, uh, not mended in his heart, in his soul. That there may be something that's not addressed. And that maybe, like a, I would ask Pastor Fritz, can you allow me to journey with you in that then? And let's just offer it to God and pray and make sure that we remind ourselves that we are still in Christ, that we could stand firm, that we still have a deposit, that our glorious bodies are there and we don't really have to worry about this too much. It's beyond us. But for for right now, because we're here in reality, let's journey this together. I feel you, brother. Let's journey this together because I feel the same way too sometimes, right? I I have my problems, and nothing's new, right? All of us have shared the same sufferings, Right? With regards to relationships, with regards to work, with regards to anxiety, with regards to in-laws, with regards to in-laws, with regards to stuff like that, right? So definitely, God has not, not shown new things to us. This is another truth, right? Again, we tap into the truth. God has shown us like similar things amongst us so that we could journey together. And that's prayer in a small group setting, in cell group. Follow? I encourage you to do that. Not just list out the what's but the whys. Why do you react to your sibling that way when he took something from you? Why do you react to an ex that way when they did something? Why do they? Why do we react to our boss that way when they did something? That sort of thing. Follow? Folks, that's why we pray. Now, as your pastor, I do keep a, a prayer list. You don't know this, but we, I do. And some of you actually get surprised when I call you up and go, hey, how about this prayer a Prayer item that you requested three months ago, <laughs> right? It's because I, uh, praise God, he gave me this tool called Google Keep, right, to, to just make sure that I pray. So how do you feel when I call you, for those who I called? call you like so three months down the road and say, how is that prayer request of yours? You feel comforted, right? And I always uh, ask, why do you feel that way? Can I further pray for you? That sort of thing. N.T. Wright, I'll just close with this of N.T. Wright. He did a really amazing quote on this about comfort, about why we pray and why we pray together. And I challenge all of us who are in cell groups to actually listen to what he says. He says this, actually, the word Paul uses is a bit more many-sided than comfort. It can mean to cause someone to come near to make a strong appeal, or exhortation, or to treat in an inviting or friendly way. The whole idea of the word is that one person is being with another, speaking words which change their mood and situation, giving them courage, new hope, new direction, new insights, which will alter the way they face the next moment, the next day, the rest of their life. And when you put all that together in a bottle, shake it up, and pour it out for someone who is in the middle of deep suffering, the best word we can come up with to describe the effect is probably comfort. Folks, brothers and sisters, those of you who are in cell groups, do you know of anyone in your cell group that is right now in need of comfort? See, comfort is to journey alongside with people and not to solve their problems. Not like joy. says, ah, oh, come on, man, you can do it. No, comfort is to relate. God gave us all sufferings to relate to each other. remember my other point that I shared my story? Some of you related It is to relate it is to connect it is to journey together and thanks be to God that we have one definite partner and that's Jesus. It's because he suffered through it. Amen Amen.